This podcast is a product of the 4th and Inches Network. A podcast network designed to keep Husky fans up to date on their favorite programs around UW. Enjoy the show and go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Hey Husky fans, welcome back to 4th and Inches, a Husky podcast from the 4th and Inches Network. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is Kayla Olin and UW Leah. And we're here to talk about Washington's first road game season. It ended in a 32 to 40 loss. Leah, I'm going to give you the first shot to talk about your recap of this game since you were the only one that picked UCLA to win. So you're the smart one tonight. Go ahead. I really wish that I weren't smart right now. I really wish that I was being proven wrong and had to do a confessional tonight because (laughs) I would have been happy to do it Um, rather than watch what we saw go down on Friday night. Um, You know, I think just Washington showed that they're human. Um, I still believe in the staff, although we will definitely go over some of the glaring mistakes that I feel like all of us are going to agree that they made. But um, what I overall, what I am happy about is the grit and the fight that the team showed. They easily could have packed it in and lost by 30 that I kind of envisioned that happening. Um, And, you know, you see, did they, you know, probably put in some lesser good players to allow Washington to fight back? Maybe, but I also know that Chip Kelly doesn't like to to win by any less than 21 points typically. So I yeah, don't I saw a lot of the that. same starting defensive players out there. Even the right. one of the twins that got hurt ended up back yeah. out there. Okay. So that's, that's good to know. Um, but overall, like, you know, I wish that I were wrong about this game. I just think that the history looking at it, it didn't bode well for Washington and um, I'm sad that they lost, but I also feel like there is a really, really good opportunity to get well against a very downtrodden devil's team in the desert. And it's a place where we historically have not won. And like, that's another exercising of the team and opportunity that DeBoer and staff can do. So let's, let's go for that. Yeah. Kayla, you know, getting down early, coming out and giving up the touchdown in the beginning of the third quarter, but then, seeing Michael Penix still make throws, see this offense still be able to move the ball. And then what Leah said, you know, you have Washington, it's one of the three teams in the Pac-12 that Washington has a losing record against. And it seems like Washington always struggles with UCLA. Friday night, Rose Bowl, uh, just a, a really tough situation to be in. What is your take from this game? I think my take, like everyone else originally, and I say originally because <laughs> – I was pissed. I was the, the me that is speaking now is different than the me that is speaking. If we would have done it on Saturday, 100% just because it's, there's more time, I think to process everything to go back, look at plays, look at what happens, look at drives, kind of compare numbers. And if this team is the coach Peterson team where, you know, 2016, like you can compare those or 2017 And there's still a loss, but people aren't upset because it's UCLA, Washington struggles, but everyone is so upset because they've seen the things that Washington has done in the first four games going four and oh, coming into this, they all of a sudden think Kalen DeBoer is like Nick Saban where they're just not expecting him to lose a game. And I, I agree that that game probably shouldn't have been lost, but it's really hard to say that when Washington struggles with the offensive weapons that UCLA has. And I'm a person to kind of look at what if this happens Yeah. and you look at seven points coming off of an interception 
Washington is now losing by one. You don't take a safety, Washington wins by one. And so if you get rid of those two situations, you're celebrating a 5-0 team right now. Mm. And if that's – those are easy things you can fix. I'm not saying that the defensive secondary has any – is a quick fix or didn't let the team down a little bit. But if Penix can make one better decision, if Wayne can just hold onto the ball and not fall on it in the end zone, Washington's a winner. And I think that's something to look forward to. Yeah, I also think that maybe like this is nobody's fault and I'm not making excuses at all because by and large, Washington did not play well enough to win this game. Full full stop. But I also think that potentially maybe if we had Arizona State on the road first and then UCLA, we can we can work out a little bit of the road kinks, still get a win and on the road against the Devils and be ready mentally to, to have a really, really tough game against UCLA. That wasn't the case. But I do think that we're going to be even more mentally prepared against ASU this coming week as a result of getting some of the kinks out. It's a shame that we had to get those kinks out in a loss, in a loss where for most of the game, we probably looked like trash, honestly. So um, there were moments where we looked pretty good, but by and large, for the big part of the game, we did not look mentally there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably what I'm responding to most of just like that was just so tough to watch was that they just really looked not, they looked out of sync, unprepared. They fought back and I'm happy for that. But um, yeah. I think the reason that you're seeing, you're, I like what how you said that because I think the reality is, is, you know, the first drive, they look fine. Uh, but then you have basically the entire, the, the second half of the first half, uh, first quarter, the entire second quarter, the beginning of the third quarter, that's a long time to not look in sync like you're talking about. And that's where UCLA built their lead. That was basically insurmountable for Washington at the end of the game, obviously. Uh, and a lot of credit goes to Dorian Thompson Robinson. He played extremely well. Uh, the running game was very effective, but there were points where Washington did play well. But I think like what you're saying, when you think about this game, there was so much time that was not in sync and it all came at once and you have good plays, a uh, uh, quality play, B plus play, uh, a plus play to start, you know, maybe your B plus in the fourth quarter, but that middle half was really hard to watch. I think if you, if you have to pick one situation that were to sum up how Washington looked against UCLA to piggyback off of you, Leah and you, Trevor is Washington coming out for, a brand new series and having to call a timeout before even their first snap. And that, that to me, a was insane. B I mean, I can't, I wasn't there. I can't speak for everyone. Wasn't that loud. Like why is, why is this happening? And I think that's probably the perfect summary of how Washington looked against UCLA is, Hey, you know, got to call timeout for even snap the ball. Right. And I also, I think to your point, Kayla, thanks for bringing that up. I feel like Trev can correct me if I'm wrong. We killed two timeouts in the first quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sir, you, you don't get a two minute warning in the second. Like we uh gotta get that figured out and dialed in. And I'm not sure just from watching it on the kind of TV standpoint, I'm not sure where any miscommunication was. You would think that there'd kind of be a set idea going into your first snap which I- it had it had shades of new because 
that used to happen under his regime all of the time where they were like john donovan are you there (laughs) (laughs) well i think a lot of it was the defense ucla was bringing especially in the second quarter where they were putting a ton of pressure on michael Penix, and leotu latu was uh was a huge problem for this offensive line i think it took Washington until the third quarter to figure out how to uh, react and uh, work to find yards uh, against that pass rush because it was so fast. They found it going to the outside, uh, doing some quick hitters that I thought were pretty good. But when they were still dropping back and trying to force the ball down the sidelines, uh, especially to Roma Dunze, that's where Washington ended up getting into some big troubles there in the second half with the, with the interceptions, they figured it out. And then once they figured out, you saw UCLA stop bringing as much pressure that could also be because of the score, but then you saw Washington's offense open back up again, but the miscues by the offensive line when the pressure was on was uh, pretty prevalent and, you know, moving Jackson Kirkland into left guard. I don't know if he's fully healthy yet. And I think there was some issues there as well. I think there's a lot to be fixed, but I think it's pretty fixable pretty quickly. I think the biggest area of maybe not concern about that entire situation, and I'm not sure if Washington kind of signals in, if they are guessing a blitz is coming and signaling that to Michael Penix to be like, hey, maybe you should have a quick release here. I don't know. But I don't think UCLA's defense is the best in the Pac-12. I don't think it's a top three and I think so the pass rush can be, I think it can be, but it makes me a little bit hesitant on, is it Michael Penix? You know, like, Hey, I don't want to get hit. I don't want to get hurt. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is. He just felt very uncomfortable. And I think that was the first time we saw him look uncomfortable in the backfield. Yeah. I wanted to like kind of piggyback off of that, that I think this is the first time all season, particularly after our first touchdown, where we saw Washington truly face adversity yeah. um, with the, yeah. the ill-fated pitch that led to the, um, the safety. Um, it really, I don't know if this was pre-designed, but it really made grub go away from the running game. And um, it made, that Washington was pretty effective. What was that? It was effective before that. Yeah. I mean, a pitch on the three is a ballsy call anyway. Like, can we just do a simple handoff, please? Like, I don't know why we need to get cute at that part of the field. Yeah. Like, if we're gonna have, if we're gonna have a, a fumble. I'd rather it happen in midfield. But like, even take it um, at the ten. <laughs> yeah, somewhere, somewhere that's not like so just crazy. Um, but you know, I just felt like you know that Washington has not. They hadn't been down in a football game until this. Yeah. And um, as soon as they got down, it very much felt like um, not necessarily the whole vibe of the team changed, but it felt like they were in panic mode and they got down in the second quarter and they were down like what, you know, n- not very much. So it was like, you have so much time left. There should be absolutely no panic and every bit of faith in your staff and your teammates. And I, that was what gave me so much like consternation and frustration to watch is that like you you have nothing to be panicked or worried about you have so much football left let's get the next play have a short memory let's go and And that's trevor kind of asking you a question is washington goes down and scores so easily very first drive they get seven 
I guess, where did it kind of start to fall apart? Just because what worked so well the very first drive, it seemed like either, I'm not going to say they got cocky, but it makes no sense that you can move the ball so easily the very first drive and then you struggle the entirety of two and a half quarters. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the the safety and go, being down. It's really easy to be a really efficient offense when you're up. And uh, what I liked about this coaching staff that I haven't heard a ton of conversation about yet is they absolutely did. It looked like there was a big panic uh, in the second quarter that got him big time down. But when they came out in the third quarter, it was a lot more uh, of a smooth offense where you saw them go back to the run a little bit, use Tulapapa a little bit, use uh, Richard Newton a little bit, and they started being effective again. Um, and I think it's going to be one of those, I think, you know, that's my, that's my turning point, I think for the offense and not just for the game, but for the season is after those two interceptions where Penix tried to force the ball to the left side sideline. Um, they came out after the half and they were much more efficient. They used all the fields. I was, uh, just a stress ball a few times on fourth down conversions later in the game where they picked it up relatively easy. Mm -hmm. And I think when we look back when they start, because they're going to be down again, this isn't, you know, this is going to be a recurring thing. They're going to be in shootouts Mm -hmm. and we'll get to that later too. But I think we can point back to that. The adjustment they made at halftime to be better on offense, to not panic, to not throw the ball that um, is going to be the, the, the thing that they can go back to and see that they can play offense. Well, even when down. I think it's also a kind of good to know, like you were saying in terms of not panicking, but going four for four on four down conversions on fourth down conversions, that says a lot about the composure of your players in a, what they know in their head is a huge situation. It's either they get it or they get off the field. And while third down conversions aren't the best four for four is just as if not more important Mm -hmm. so trevor you mentioned shootouts in your last comment and that's another reason why i'm like i'm gonna look at the offensive staff and say that knowing where our defense is right now and that's it's not death row it's nowhere close to that knowing that we're going to be in shootouts you cannot be timid with this offense 100%. 100%. The fact that they were timid and not necessarily lackadaisical, but just kind of tight for, I want to say 20 full minutes in the first mm-hmm. half is yeah. why we dug ourselves a hole. Yep. And that is on, that's not on any one player. I blame that on the offensive staff, partially sure. on the head coach and partially on the OC, because if you know what our defense is not, and that's, it's not a lockdown system right now, you have to score to keep us in games. And when you get timid, you're, you are handicapping the whole, the whole deal. So. Yeah. And especially at this point where you have your, the back end of your defense, you're out Asa Turner, Jordan Perryman's just coming back. You're down Michelle Powell and you have two true freshmen who the game has not slowed down yet for. So of course you're going to give up a bunch of points. So until you have that group that you had as your starters back, if ever you're going to have to adjust and know that you're going to have to score points. It's also, I think, a good indicator. Again, trying to find a little bit of a positive in what we saw because the final score doesn't reflect how clo- like how the game was at moments. Sure. Washing being down 1040. 
there could have been a bigger collapse the off for the offense to pull within eight points. Correct. I think is it says a lot about them in kind of their gut check time. And while it came too late, while it didn't get the W the fact that, and you know, who knows how much UCLA let off the gas a little bit, because you can look at that with Washington and Michigan state, if you really want to, but to still make it seem like a competitive game, especially for the East coast voters who don't stay up to see the entire thing. Like, Hey, that's good. Like, (laughs) so I Washington's 21 of the eight people today. Yeah. And you know what, that's to throw some positivity towards the defense. Those two fourth down stops were huge to not let this game get out of hand. Right. I mean, like they showed flashes in the end when it came down to it. And that's, I mean, that's the grit of the staff and particularly coming from the head coach. That it's like, we don't quit. We might lose this game, but I want to lose fighting. I want to lose giving it our best up until the final whistle. And we're going to do that. And what it did is I think (laughs) Kayla's right. It saved us falling out of the top 25 because if the, if the, you know, uh, first part of the third quarter score stands, we're out of the top 25 right now. No question. Yeah, I mean, both sides of the ball, we're, I don't think we're really defending them in terms of, yeah, you played great. Here's a participation trophy. I Both sides need to work on things going into the next game, but there's also no reason to panic. 100%. And also our blessing right now is that we've got a couple of games coming up against the desert schools that should be extremely winnable. And we'll have a lot of things to look for and see, like, did this improve? How is this doing? We're going to have one on the road and one at home. And I think after that, we go on the road against Cal. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be hopeful about in the sense that like, we knew we were going to go undefeated this year. Yeah. There's, I don't think there's going to, maybe USC will go undefeated. I don't, I'm not even sure about that. I don't think so. They played real close against ASU. Is it it was, it was 21-17. Right? Is it Cheryl Crow that said the first cut is the deepest? Oh my yes. God. Trevor. Yes. Trevor. The first is, uh, one hurts. Yeah. First one hurts. Yeah. Shades of 2004. Thank you. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Oof. That one really aged us all. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. You go go oh, YouTube it, all you young kids. Oh, Lord. But no, it, I think it, that you're it right. sucks losing the first one because you're thinking, God, they look, they look unstoppable. They don't look, uh, they're stopped. Yeah. I'm glad that, like, let's be honest. I'm glad it was to UCLA because what if we came in and we were really high on ourselves after beating UCLA and then we and then we just crapped all over ourselves against ASU. I'm so glad it was against UCLA. I would rather use, lose to UCLA than Oregon. Or like if one loss comes yeah. in, like yep. I'll ten out of ten loss. times. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Yeah. I don't I mean, I don't know that I don't know that both of those can happen. So um I'm not gonna I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but amen to that. But I also think that if we improve every week, which up until this week, I felt like we had, we'll get back on track and we have to be ready to meet the moment in big games, especially when our crowd is not behind us. I don't think that UCLA had a crowd. It was just the absence of our crowd may have affected, um, you know, our momentum or whatever. But I also feel like, you know, it, it, you have to have grit and toughness to be in a stadium that's not your own and fight from behind and make it a football game. And so if there's one thing that I'm like, I'm really proud of our staff for helping will our guys to do, it's that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess moving on, I kind of wanted to just go straight to grades because we know where the turning points are. 
Um, it's the interceptions at the end of the half for the offense. And then it for the defense, it's, I think, given up uh, the first touchdown drive to start the third quarter. So uh, I would disagree on okay, let's the hear defensive it. because I had kind of alluded to it a little bit. And it was right after Washington's very first touchdown. The defense stopped UCLA on downs. And I thought that was a huge turning point. But when you stop a team on your own three-yard line and then you give them the kind of momentum and confidence for them to get a safety like Isn't yeah it's Washington great it's, it, is, Michigan State? it is great you stop them on downs but when you're now giving a team that kind of wow just got a safety and that kind of power yeah. behind them it, it's great. Thanks for thanks for the stop. I'd take that over six points or seven or eight. But at the same time, it's it kind of was a turning point. It set UCLA up for some success there. Could not agree more. And also that to me, you know, the Huskies stopping UCLA on the Washington three yard line, huge deal. And to me, the offensive coordinator should have been like, I cannot waste the defensive um effort that just happened that's a huge stop yeah. you know we're not at home this is a huge deal I've got to go out and score now even if it's a field goal I've got to score yeah. so it's you know a 10 point swing at minimum yeah and then you're kicking off and then the defense the has to go back on the field that's and fair. they give up a touchdown so like yeah, not only are was- you not scoring you're not you're not resting the legs of your defenders who just did a bang of a job and you gave up a safety yeah. right and they they were out there for most of the first half yep. after that that's, yep. that's a good point and we cannot underestimate the fact that as trevor mentioned these are young kids these are not our veterans and so like it's trial by fire right now and the last thing we need to do is have them be tired right um i, I want to stay on the defensive side and go to grades then if if unless you guys have anything else that you want to add to that no, but I like keeping you on your toes. You think you know what the turning point is, though. I thought I did. I and I'm I'm going to stick with mine. I like mine. I, I thought that if Washington was able to get it, force a three and out. Uh, I'd be remiss though, them. really quickly, if we did not talk about the monkey in the room, which did ultimately not affect the score of the game. I know what you're going to talk but about. The, the officials in this game on a nationally televised stage. That was an embarrassment for the conference, and George Klyevkov should. Um, at the very least suspend that whole staff for a full game because that was atrocious and it was an embarrassment to watch. Some of the phantom holding calls that I saw, especially on the Washington side uh, and to not even, and and then to miss as many uh, on the opposite with UCLA, Mm -hmm. it seems like it's always been a thing with uh, Chip Kelly led teams where there is a lot of holding. They can't call it every single time, so might as well do it. And uh, they they definitely were rewarded. Um, is that game different if things no. change? Maybe. Maybe. But- I feel like we were outplayed, like, you know, full stop. I am not Dorian Thompson Robinson Torah. I mean, they, yeah, he, he Swiss cheese. I am, not, defense, I am not taking anything away from UCLA. They had outplayed us. They deserve to win. And they were the better team on Friday for sure. hundred percent full stop, but two things can be true. The refs were still absolutely atrocious. And in a, I'm actually glad that 
in some ways we never had a chance in that game after kind of the middle of the second quarter, because imagine if it were like a three point game and that happened. So. Yeah. Um, I think that one is hard because, and I, I can only say so much, but (laughs) with, I agree that there was some big calls that were messed up. And one that I got the most DMS about was the tack on of, the defensive holding with the late yeah. bounce. Yes, that was a miss on the officials. Um, I think they did a great job overturning the targeting on Cam Fab. Yep. Um, where I know uh Mike Varel, I know said that like if that's not targeting, I don't know what is. And that was incorrect. He hit him with the shoulder and it wasn't the crown of the helmet. Correct. There's a lot of things that go into this. So I mean, Washington could be losing Cam Fab for you know, quarter of a game, but at the same time, it's hard seeing some of the blame going to the PAC 12 commissioner because he doesn't hire these officials. There is a commissioner of the PAC 12 officials that select officials every single year and put together crews and crews can be sat the following week if they evaluate really, really poorly. So I'm not sure if this one will be having to sit next week or if they will be on the field. It'll be interesting to see that. Um, it's kind of those behind the scene things of yes, Pactual officials get a really bad rep, but you can kind of look and see if they do get reprimanded later. You just don't see or hear about it. I guess like every week, the biggest game of the week has had an egregious error. I agree with that. I agree with that. Ultimately the buck needs to stop at who's in charge. Yes. He has made it a mission of his since he got hired to clean that up. And I'm not seeing it yet. It's really interesting. Do you guys listen to the John Canzano, John Wilner podcast at all? No. Okay. So they talked about the officiating issues and Kayla, you might be able to speak a little bit more to this, but a lot of the conferences, uh, the, the power five conferences have partnerships with some of the smaller division one schools. And the one that they talked about that seems really strange to me is the big 12 has a partnership with the mountain West and uh, one of the other schools down in uh, the Southern area, I believe uh, yeah. people who listen to it can't quote me on that, but um, the mountain West one stuck out to me because when um, a big 12 official is either, either retires or is uh, moves on to the NFL, they have basically what, comes out to be a minor league where they work in tandem with the big 12 and it's more of a seamless transition. And one of the things that they talked about is Klyovkov has said that they're working on that, but as of right now, they don't have that. And so that leads to a little bit of misjointedness when it comes to inevitable uh, official turnover. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty correct. Um, Aside from, all officials are independent contractors. So you get, and I put quotes around fired every year because you just, you get let go of from your conference. And then the start of every season, you get rehired. The NFL works the same way. Um, However, they also use um, alternates for games. So the big 12 will pull alternates from mountain West or from a D2 crew. And they'll be like, Hey, come out to the Texas game or come out to, let's say, Oklahoma right now 
just warm up with all the officials. If something happens, you're going in. And they kind of get them involved that way. Or we work practices with all these D1 schools. That's kind of how they get those consistent crews together. And that's where crews really look good is you have that constant communication. Like you're saying, Pac-12 doesn't quite have that yet. And it's really hard because someone from the SEC can go ahead and pull someone from Seattle if they want to for their crew. They get first dibs at who they want. It goes NFL, then D1, then D2, then D3, and so on and so forth. And so while what you're saying is correct, it's hard just because every official is an independent contractor and every official is up for grabs every year. Interesting. Yeah. And so it, it, I guess that does complicate it a little bit with not being employees of a conference, but you see the same guys popping up. Yeah. They usually stick within the same conference. Once you're hired, that's kind of usually theirs. Uh Um, and it's, it's hard to, because something that our commissioner always says is, you know, you won't get fired. If you miss a hold, you'll get fired. If you miss a targeting. And so just having to know when people transition away from holds, if the quarterback is in front of them. So for me, if the quarterback comes to my side as a center judge and I see kind of my left tackle and an edge engaging each other, I don't care about my left tackle anymore. I'm protecting that quarterback. quarterback. You're watching the quarterback. I'm watching that. And yes, holds get called incorrectly because it wasn't an actual hold, but they think they saw that or they miss one, there's just, I think I just have a little bit more leeway with officials because I, I mean, that quarterback, if the crowd will go more crazy, if you miss a crown to the helmet of your quarterback, then you miss a hold. Sure. Um, we haven't talked a ton about the defense yet. And that's where I want to talk about. I want to spend some time. I was hoping we didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, I want to start up front because Zach Charbonnet had a a, a very efficient game. Uh, He averaged almost, he averaged over five and a half yards a game. You have Dorian Thompson Robertson also averaging five yards a game, uh, an attempt, uh, 184 yards on the ground. Washington's, I, I, I don't, it didn't feel like the Washington of last year where you knew if they ran the ball, they were going to get that five yards of carry. Um, but they did get exposed a little bit up front. What was your guys' overall take from the defensive line and, and linebacker, the front seven? Well, yeah, let you go first. I was going to say, Kaylee, you can go first. <laughs> I prefer to listen to you first. I mean, defensive line, I think, did an overall the best job in terms of if you want to compare defenses, just because the running wasn't what killed Washington. Yeah, you give up, what is it, a hundred so yards, 184, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 184 yards on the ground. Yeah, and then... 490 you, total. Ex- exactly. You can't be upset when somebody who was the Big Ten freshman player of the year was Zach Charbonnet, comes in and only averages 5.6 during the day and one touchdown you're only giving up two touchdowns on the ground. I think that's a great day. You also look at kind of person by person stats there in terms of how did the defense look with the D line to the two Gastonoa, three total tackles. And then he had two pass breakups. Yeah. How often do you get pass breakups from a D line? 
not very often. I think he played extremely well. They also had um, ZTF. He's an edge, but he had a pass breakup. I think the big guys more up front towards the line made their presence known. And I think that's why they took so many shots down the field and why they were successful passing is because they knew that they weren't going to do well against this D line. Yeah. I tend to agree that um, UCLA's opening drive that was largely successful until they got to the three yard line was um, you know, they, once they got close, they tried on the ground and it was not successful. They, yeah. they, we stood them up several different times. And the reason they torched us is because they could, that's our yeah. weak spot. And they're smart to do that, but they went away from the ground game because our, our D line is pretty good. Um, That's just like, I would say probably all of us would agree. That's probably the strength of the defense. So, um, you know, if, if there's a team that's out there that wants to run the damn ball, they're going to have a hard time against the mighty D line of Washington, unless they have another varied passing attack. So um, I, in terms of grades for the D line, I'd probably give them a B plus. I'd agree. I'd probably even go, I would bump to a minus because of the goal line stand stopping a run game for three total yards for four different snaps, I think was impressive. Even though it was my defensive turning point for it didn't work out well, I still, you got to commend them for doing their job. Absolutely. I mean, they were, they were off balance in the sense that Zach Charbonnet had, had a very good game. So I, I have a hard time going up super high with it because even though it was off balance, even though the, the passing attack was really the issue, I think when you're giving up almost five, almost five yards of carry, that's not a good day um, for the front seven in general. I would, I would probably be more in the B minus range, but the stops that they had to allow this game to not become a laugher were huge. Um, I think it is regardless. It's still the, like what you guys said, it's still the strength of the, of the, um, of the team. So I kind of like bumped uh, put both of those together and I'm going to do the same thing again. Uh, we have to talk the elephant in the room, the defensive backfield uh, was shredded at points. Um, the Duke transfer Bobo had a massive game, 142 yards on six receptions, two touchdowns seemed like every time they needed a third and long, they went to him and they picked it up rather easily. Um, some of the young corners I think were exposed of not having the experience. Uh, I think that, uh, some of the safeties that were in there as well, you noticed not having Asa Turner in there. Um, there's a lot to be, there, there's a lot to be let wanting. And uh, I, I put them at the C minus range. Uh, they didn't make a ton of plays. The, the passing game was so efficient. Dorian Thompson Robinson has definitely improved as a passer over the years. He's not just an athlete who hikes the ball to him. He gets the ball hiked to him. He can throw. Um, he ended up with 315 yards, uh, three touchdowns. I mean, they were absolutely insane. But the the one that drives me the most crazy, Bobo only almost caught every time he caught the ball. It was 24 yards. That was his average. Yeah, Wait, you want to go first? Sure. Um, tend to agree with all of your assessments, Trevor. Um, have a hard time um, giving you know, the back part of the defense, uh, higher than a D, but yeah. I'm going to go C minus, um, just cause we have such a young group out there. We're missing, as you know, Perryman, Turner, Powell, all those guys. Um, I I'm 
not, I'm not sure on this night it would have, I mean, it would have changed the game. It certainly would have made things a little bit better. I think we, I think we have um, better play on the ball. I think we probably have better defense on Bobo. Um, but, you know, we all knew going in that this was, this was the circle area of like, can we improve? We did not. I'm not necessarily sure that we went backwards because this is a pretty good team. We didn't improve. Um, and the positive, if you can spin it this way, is that we're getting a lot of young kids, a lot of good reps against a very good team, um, against some very good receivers. So um, that's only going to help their experience in the long term. I wish it wasn't in a loss. I wish I wish we didn't you know go down by however many we were down at one point. But um, C minus for for Friday night, but hoping that it's going to look a lot better um, against the team without a head coach this week. So. Uh, I'm going to be a real a-hole right now. and I'm going to give them an F. And when I say F, it's not just because I felt like that was the costly part of the game, but if you big numbers guy over here, you look at numbers, you talk about Bobo who had 72 yards after catch on six catches you had Zach Charbonnet a running back who had 62 yards after catch as a team 198 yards after catch mm. that is I don't I do not care how inexperienced and young you are that is absolutely insane to me and if you want to look at you know either third downs and how they got those how is it it's Nine out of the 10 were catches. So Washington does their job. They force them to third down and then they give up a new first down. And I fully think that if UCLA wasn't playing chess in terms of strategically, because if you look at the passing UCLA, they passed 14 times in the first quarter for 113 yards. And then they tried for 12 times for 128 yards. But then in the third and fourth, the four, the third, they only passed for four. The fourth, they only passed for three because they're trying to run the clock because they're yeah. up. So if you kind, if you think this is close, they're going to be passing the ball more. These numbers are going to be even more drastic. And just having only seven passes in the second half, and you still give up 198 yards after catch. I I don't know where the defensive backs went right. No interceptions, no real, I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm rude right now, but it is what it is. <sighs> Listening to the, what your breakdown, I have a hard time disagreeing with you either though, Kayla, it was, it was not good. I think that the only thing that Leah really mentioned was the fact that they're young and that uh, these are those reps that hopefully are, are taking place when you're up 30 to Stanford and not, in the second quarter yeah and, and injuries happen it sucks yeah. and like i don't really want to compare a pac-12 team to an sec team but and when bama has a guy go down they have the next guy up yeah and they still figure out how to win and there i know that i know that the sec doesn't play defense so <laughs> that is what that is but at the end of the day well, also, like, the caliber of athletes that Alabama has is also, not what we also, have. Also, so, like, I mean, we can we can sit here all day and, and, you know, be really hard on the guys who did not play up to par. I'm not disagreeing, 
but that's not the, the, the caliber of athlete that we have at yeah. this point. Well, it's the indictment. I don't know if it's caliber of athlete, but it's just that there's, you have your starters and then you have guys that are true freshmen and retro freshmen. You don't have the depth that you should have in a healthy program. And right now, because of the last few years, we're not a healthy program. And those guys should, there should be guys in between um, some of the freshmen that were out there in the secondary. And, uh, you know, Cam Fab should be, he's a, I, I believe he's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, so he, he's one of those guys that should be out there, but those corners that were out there weren't ready for that. And the game was too fast for him. And they made a lot of mistakes. Uh, Julius Irvin has just moved to a new position. The fact that the last coaching staff did not recruit and develop that position is hurting them now. Uh, and it's up to this staff to develop those guys earlier than they should. Just like when Chris Peterson took over, he had to put true freshmen at the uh, left and right tackle, which you should not do. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not fair to the kids. They had to learn how to do it. Trey Adams and Carolyn McGarry were very good at it, but it probably cost K Trey Adams money because all of the wear and tear in his body, but by the time he got to the NFL, um, those guys should be being developed. They shouldn't be in that position yet, but that's where they are. So they have to be able to um, kind of learn by fire. And that sucks to do it on national TV. Even if it's Friday night at seven 30 in Southern California with 17 fans there. So um, I think that they have, it's one of those things that it is what it is. You can't complain about it. Uh, it's not an excuse and they have to be better. So, um, well yeah. done, Kayla. I, I a hundred percent agree with Leah in terms of, you know, Bama and Washington wasn't the best comparison in terms of the caliber caliber of five star, four star, however you want to compare them at Washington. I but think, you're right, though, I think we're, I, I think I'm trying to find not necessarily an excuse, but we as fans, as media, however you want to call us, have never been in a position where we need to question said secondary. Because you look at Kevin King, Sidney yeah. Jones, Buddha. Yeah, you're nervous when they go to the NFL. But you know what? Hey, Taylor Rapp's there. Hey, you know who else is there? Byron Murphy. You have yep. Kyler Gordon. You have Trent McDuff. Yep. Like, we can sit here and we can name 12 DBs in the NFL because Byron we, Murphy, Byron Murphy redshirted. Yeah. And it's while he never got the reps because they never had, because death row was death row. It was just an easy transition, whether they were young, Taylor Rapp won the pack 12 MVP yep. as a, a freshman. freshman. Yep. And it's, it's, I think this is the first time we've had to be upset or nervous that it hasn't been a seamless transition in the secondary. Do you credit Jimmy Lake or do you credit not having maybe some recruits in the room there? I don't know, but it's frustrating. I don't know who to, I don't know, because I think that the guys are there, like Devon Banks, um, who was the guy that uh, Javion Green yeah, he got Zachary, burned bad. Yeah, but, you know, Zakari Spears, uh, Dyson McCutcheon are all really talented players, yeah. but they're redshirt freshmen and true freshmen. Yeah. So they're not supposed to be in this position yet, but that's where the program is. Yeah. So that's kind of 
it is what it is. The, the, the grades are going to be what they are. Kayla, I think that you're right in being critical. There's reasons for it, but you know, uh, everybody has excuses, right? So, um, for the American they- idol, like I'm clearly Simon today. Leah's great. She's, she's Paula and Trevor. You're just, you're chilling. You're Randy Jackson right now. <laughs> it's a no I do not me, feel like I'm Paula. Well, you're pretty like her right now. Bless I you. still look like a drowned rat. I always felt like she was brain dead. So I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, switching over to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, there's definitely some positives. The receivers continue to be reliable. Uh, a few drops here and there. But, you know, when they're making their comeback in the second half, there were some big time plays that uh, on the outside that you saw made. Jalen Polk had a catch. Um and then, of course, Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan. Uh, and then some of the tight ends really getting involved as well. Still probably the biggest strength on this roster. Does anybody say anything different? Nope. Oh, the, biggest a- strength, the, the biggest strength is wild receivers? Yeah. That, that, you know yeah. what I'm going to say to that, Trav. I don't know if you can say that after this game. I don't know. I just feel like they, for the most part, they protected our guy. So, um I'm I'm still I'm still giving love to the offensive line. I love our wide receivers, but um, we need to keep Mike healthy to have a pretty good season. And so far, he has by and large not gotten hit very much. Yep. Hey, keyword very much. Sacks. I'll take it. Very Surrender much. Two, I mean, like sacks. everyone's gonna get hit. Every quarterback's yeah. gonna get hit. It's a question of how much is he getting hit. I He's may close my hit. eyes when Michael Penix gets hit, but. <laughs> But everyone's going to get hit. It's a question of like, isn't, you know, obviously these are still human beings. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to miss assignments, but um, he's not getting hit as much as other quarterbacks in the conference. Is it a question of if Bert or when, sir? <laughs> what, what do you think about, so what would you, what would you say about the offensive line tonight? Where would you, where would you put them? Um, this was their, this was their, you know, least good performance. Um he, we, we passed a lot. That's we talked about that in previous pods. That is really taxing to hold a pocket. Um, especially when you are not running the ball, which we abandoned for a good part of the game. Um, yeah, you're, you're getting taxed. And so the opportunities because of the sheer amount of snaps that you're having to hold the pocket, the opportunities for collapse are more, um, they're higher because you're working harder. So I would probably give them still a B plus but I've given them A's the rest of the season. So yeah, fair point. Yeah, it's hard because it's almost like when Michael Penix looks so good, it's, hey, he's still the leading passer in the nation, but now he has three interceptions to his name. How hard do you want to dock him on just one bad game? I wouldn't even say the O-line was bad. I'll take two sacks over you know, what we've seen in previous years with the O-line being bad. So I'll take that. They kept him healthy. I think that's what's important because we saw what happens when Washington has a good quarterback and then gets injured. It goes very far downhill. I think that he made some poor decisions. I don't think that's on the O-line. And I know the O-line sometimes gets blamed for that, whether he feels rushed and had to make some quick decisions. Right. I agree. I think the O line was bad. I mean, this isn't. Are you giving them an rock, F? Are you this being rocket science? But like, the offensive line wasn't great when Michael Penix wasn't great. Yeah. Like, th- there was definitely a correlation that Chicken I saw. Chicken or egg, though. 
Well, that's the question because they were dialing up some pressure when he threw those interceptions. And at that point, you look at the Murphys, uh, Bo Calvert, name that Washington knows, at least the last name, um, and Leatu Latu, a, a friend of the the program, were, were in the backfield quite a bit. And then you saw holding penalties. Uh, the one that I don't hold against him was – the, the Roger Rosengarden um, uh, unnecessary roughness call where uh, towards the end of the game that really cost Washington. But I thought that for the first time they, they weren't dominant. And so I maybe, maybe I'm grading on a curve a little bit from what I've seen. Um, you know, I think back to the one where Tulipapa looked like he had room and Jackson Kirkland just was not fast enough to get to the tackler who ended up being able to get around him to get to Tula Papa. So like, there's definitely more things to fix overall. They're still a really impressive group and you could probably, you could make an argument and I wouldn't disagree with you. I just think the receivers time in and time out in those big situations are getting open and making catches. And we, we've all seen in the last few years that sometimes that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I don't disagree with you. I would just say that like, they're, they got a lot of catches because there were lots of opportunities to throw the ball. Sure. And unless he's, unless he's protected, they don't get those opportunities. So it's just like a, a, a domino effect. I agree with you. They, they're catching the ball and bless that because in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years, we've had kids who just dropped the ball. Yeah, I know they try hard, but they were getting really good looks and dropping it. That's not happening anymore. And that's due to um, some really good athletes and some really good coaching. So of course I'm going to shout out the wide receivers. I just like, I've got love for my offensive line. Yeah. I have to, I have to defend them. Well, mainly me and my grade, but um, they only gave up one quarterback hurry. So while at Seymour, only one went down in the stat book. So (laughs) that's where my grade's going. But at the same time, Trevor, curious as to, I'm, and it's hard to kind of maybe think what could have been, but how, how do you think Miles Gaskin would do with this O-line? Like, is it, is it, I'm not taking anything away from Wayne because he's, was a four-year starter at Nebraska. He's great, but is it finding the holes? Virginia. Virginia. Thank you. Is it finding the holes? Is it, you know, maybe how he runs. I I think that miles Gaskin was the last and best of a line of extremely talented running backs that came through Washington. Um, We, for that stretch uh, going back to Chris Polk and Bishop Sankey and then finishing with miles Gaskin. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. That was a really special time. Um, A lot of people probably said that about after Napoleon Kaufman. And how long did it take us to get back? I'm just saying, like, don't say never, but like it took a while. So generational? Generational. Generational. (laughs) So I I think that, uh, I think that Wayne Tulipapa is a a good college running back. I also think that there was definitely holes and that they were effective when they ran the ball. I think at Leah's point, they gave it up too quick, but I want to pull the curtain back because Leah and I were texting for a while uh, about the offensive line after the show last week and we were reminiscing about uh what if keith price was behind this line because keith price's line got him absolutely decimated he was 
sophomore year, Keith Price was unreal. And then after that, you saw the the turnover at the offensive line. You saw uh, him running for his life and just getting absolutely blasted and still being a, a good quarterback. Um, I think he's dominant behind this line. And I think Michael Penix is benefiting from that. Yeah, I think Penix definitely benefits from it. Um, I know my hot take is I don't think Keith Price was that good. <gasps> like he, yeah, he he was good. It is what it is. But it's it's hard to follow a Jake Locker. Oh, I thought he did a really good job of that. I mean, again, I know that's a hot take. I hear it all the time from <laughs> TJ. Like how big of a hot take that is, but. If we're going to go ahead and say that, yeah, the DBs were inexperienced or the star rating of them is not up to caliber, so we can't grade them too hard or, you know, the loss shouldn't fall directly on them, then it has to go both ways. And he's an elusive quarterback. I thought he was a great runner, but I also felt like he didn't also make big plays that he should have. Through the darkest days of Washington football, the three players that kept me interested was Reggie Williams, Chris Polk, and uh, Keith Price. Big Polk fan. I loved ASJ. I know those. I know that ASJ was a big. Reggie Williams was before, but yeah, ASJ. Yeah, he was. He was a big time guy too. But Mm -hmm. those three, uh, the 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 memory of how good Reggie Williams was, and then those two guys being so explosive or i was in college me. when reggie williams was there yeah. yeah like i was in college like keith price slash Siler miles like i was in the student section people had signs that said like we miss price yeah because i wasn't the only student who thought that keith price also wasn't that good i mean you look at the quarterback room and there wasn't much competition there at the same time and then when jake browning came and got the start as a true freshman i think that said a lot of how desperate that quarterback room was Oh, the quarterback room when Chris Peterson got there was was I was about ready to go in. You were and I can't even see over the offensive line. I will say that, like, thinking back about previous quarterbacks that we've had, Keith Price um, was a warrior in the sense that he got hit a lot. And he came, popped up, smiled. They called him Keith Price for a reason. Just a warrior in that sense. And... Um, you you contrast that with Jake Browning, who, if he made one bad throw, was sitting on the bench with talking to Jonathan Smith and pounding on the phone. Um, and you're the de facto leader of the team. And I didn't see that from Penix. I thought, you know, he knew he made mistakes. And I felt like he really redeemed his performance in the second half. And I felt like as he went, so did the team. So I'm proud of how he was able to bounce back from his worst night as a Husky and still, um, you know, fight and get us get us to a point where the final score is not necessarily indicative of how the game went, but we fought back and we made it a game. So, but like, my point is that like, I want a quarterback that if something goes wrong, he's not quitting on his team. And over and over again in the Jake Browning era, I definitely felt like he did that. Could have quit after his second interception. And he did. Right. Exactly. And he still went out and he threw almost 69%, right. 345 yards. He and threw for a higher completion percentage than against Stanford. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a very, very good quarterback. Right. And I think that this goes to show you that this team is going to be good. I mean, they're going to yeah. win a bunch of games because this offense is so good, even the mistakes. And, and that's a perfect time right before you go in half, be pissed off during halftime. Don't make your adjustments and come out and uh, lay an egg. And he didn't. And he made this game competitive. It came down to needing a couple stops and this defense isn't ready to do that. So it's mm-hmm. going to be important for them to be consistent all game offensively. Agreed. I'm also, feel- you go Leah. I was going to say, I still feel like the, the basement for the season for this team is eight and four. I yeah, still feel I agree. that way. Agree. I still think my, my prognostication is nine and three. I still hold firm to that, but I feel like the basement is eight and four. The ceiling is probably 10 and two. Yeah. That's an amazing year. Yep. So there's a lot of, I mean, like we can take what we, what we did not like from the secondary and otherwise against UCLA and hope to hope to God that we're going to see a lot of improvements in the next weeks. Go ahead, Kayla. Uh, you set me up for both things, but a, I thought uh, eight wins was probably including a bowl was probably going to be what me I was happy with, with mm-hmm. a brand new quarterback, brand new head coach, brand new OC, yada, yada, yada. I was happy with, I was going to be up with eight wins, especially getting back to a bowl game. Um, and then my second thing is I'm kind of excited not to lose, but to see how this staff and how this team handles the loss. Are they going to come out and are they going to put up 70 on Arizona State? Are they going to let it eat at them and make some early mistakes? I think we're going to – it's one of these things that we wouldn't have answers to about this team unless a loss happens. And would you rather have to come off of a loss and see how they handle it going into Oregon? Or would you rather come off of a loss and see how they're going to handle it going into ASU? And we're going to learn – so much about this team in the next week that it's almost refreshing to know that it's happening against Arizona state. Totally. And to your point, like I see this in all sports, it is really hard because you're, you're talking about 18, 19 to 22 year old kids. Sometimes it's really hard to motivate people who haven't suffered any sort of adversity. They're still growing. Like they're, they are still growing. Their, Their brains are not fully formed yet. And sometimes it's hard to convince an 18 year old kid that, you know, you have to take a a team like Arizona state seriously. So I'm glad for a loss at this point in the season. I'm glad for a loss to undefeated UCLA um, because now we have some really good film, very embarrassing variety for some positions to say like, (laughs) Hey, like this is not good enough. This isn't going to cut it. What do we need to do to get better? And what do we need to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? So it's so valuable to have that. So Trevor, as a, you're a coach and while it's different sports, it's the same thing. How does it, and we're going to transition. We're going to talk more with Jake coming up this week, but does it almost take a pressure off of Washington to now not be blank and O, but to have a loss and just know like, yeah, it happens. Now we don't have to worry about being perfect. You know, it's really interesting because the best thing it's always going to happen when you're dealing with young people. And I mean, let's be honest in every walk of life, at some point you're going to, you know, think you're better than you are. And life humbles you in that way. But I think that one of the things as a coach, what I would rather have is to get a, a big scare, right? Let's say USC goes undefeated. They're going to look back at the Oregon state game. It's like, yeah, we had to really fight to beat Oregon state. Um, it took, a perfect throw to beat them uh, while 
Oregon State's defense was playing out of their mind, right? Washington's was in a loss. I'll never forget talking with Noah Dickerson one day on the show talking about uh, how good his junior year team was and uh, rolling into Cal, who I don't know if they had a win in conference play. No, they did not. And uh, him in the locker room before the game, watching the guys messing around and having a good time. And he was like, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. And they did. Uh, And it, you know, it helped them. They ended up winning the conference uh, and making a little run in the NCAA tournament, which was huge for a program that hadn't been there since 2011. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and making it almost to the sweet 16 or to this when they lost to North Carolina, but um, you'd rather it be a scare and a win, but uh, you know, a loss can do this as well. Uh, They're not going to overlook Arizona state. This is a statement that from the coaching staff, especially that's going to say that we can travel. And so I think that if I'm Arizona state, I'm not feeling good. It's a 13 point um, favorite. Washington's the 13 point favorite feel pretty good about that right now uh even in tempe uh because i think this coaching staff is mature i think this coaching staff is uh under control and i think they're going to have the guys working in the right direction yeah we saw what happens when you sleep on teams usc going into halftime it was 21 17 against arizona state a team who had fired their head coach mm-hmm. a couple of weeks prior so college football is crazy anything can happen on any given saturday or Friday in Washington's point. <laughs> but I think, I mean, we're going to see a lot of the questions that we don't have answered about Kalen is about to be. Yeah, you're right. And uh, speaking of that, just Friday night was as a human being, one of the most emotional roller coasters of my life. <laughs> um, I mean, I can't have nice things. Apparently uh, I can't have my favorite baseball team going back to the, playoffs for the first time since I was a freshman in high school uh, and my favorite football team whom I cover uh, win a game in the same night I'm not allowed to have that I blame the uh, Mariners I've accepted that I I give the Mariners an F for my daughter like so I watched the first half with my daughter at Jason's house and she was super tired at halftime so we drove home and she wanted to chit chat with me in the car so I got home to find out that I was super pissed off about how the first half had gone and I missed the Cal Raleigh home run. So, Oh man, Thicky Mantle himself, huh? Mm-hmm. You're like, that's so. the last time we have a family talk in the car. We will sit <laughs> in silence from now on. I literally made a post on Twitter that said like all of her devices are charged because I am not active parenting after six thirty. Yes. <laughs> And then I, t- and then I just like went against my own policy. What was it? You went and were a good parent. Look, at I you. was a guy talked with my do- my child. She's going to go back and she's like, yeah, in 21 years ago, the last time the Mariners went to the playoffs, my mom and I had a great conversation on the, the core memory of mine. <laughs> I hope it's not another 21 years before in the playoffs again, Kayla. Well, <laughs> you could, you go back in a time machine to 2001 and find Leah in 2001 and say, it's going to be till 2022. I would have slapped that she, girl. She's in the car talking to her parents. Who are like, shut up. I'm just trying to yeah. listen to the game. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, I was thinking Joel Pinero was going to be the best pitcher in the American League. Oh, my God. I mean, like, that was a, that was a really, that was an amazing time to be a fan of, um, of sports because that year, 2001, yep. was my freshman year at UW. 
Washington um, under Marcus Tiasasopo beat yep. Drew Brees and Purdue in the Rose Bowl. Yep. Washington women's basketball went to the Elite Eight and the Mariners won 116 games and did not make the World Series. And that is when I stopped being an active Mariner fan. I'm still always <laughs> in the fan, but I could not. That was such, it was so devastating to 20 year old Leah that I, I just, my parents are super into it. And, you know, that's great. I love it. My family loves baseball, but I cannot unless like it's like for real. And now it is. So I can. All of those memes that are like, what's worse than heartbreak? And Leah's like, let me tell you. Uh, (laughs) Well, like last year, I went to Fenway Park to visit some family and we did a a stadium tour inside Fenway Park. It It was amazing. And um, like their their food though at Fenway Park is like is trash. It's not good at all. And but I was it hasn't that. evolved since like nineteen oh four. No, it's a it's a really cool stadium, but like food is not why you go there. And I, I was joking. Agree. I was joking with the tour guide, and I'm like, you know, you go into Safeco or T-Mobile, and I said like, you know, you can get anything. You can get like the best nachos. You can get sushi. You can get dentai fung. It's like anything you could want. Now, this was, again, this was last year. And I said, like, you know, if you want really good baseball, that's not our brand. That's not what you're here for. If you want really good food, you can come to T-Mobile Park. If you're looking for penance, I'm sorry, that's not our tea. So you get one or the other, but you do not get both. <laughs> that's right. And if and then again, if you're a Washington Husky fan, you don't get really good food, but you have some pretty good football. So. Yeah. And if you go to Fenway Park, you get an old hot dog. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But at least you can pack your cat, have it, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on to, uh, you know, we can close the book on this game. Uh, hopefully <laughs> we can be talking about a win this time on Sunday night. So for Trevor Mueller, mm-hmm. Kayla Olin, UWA, go dogs. Go dogs, destroy the devils. And if Washington doesn't win, this is my last go dogs. 